You're listening to The Sigrun Show, episode number 400. I started The Sigrun Show on August 2nd, 2017, and today I'm releasing my 400th episode. For this special occasion, I've turned things around. Instead of interviewing a guest or doing a solo episode, I will be answering your questions. Welcome to The Sigrun Show. I'm your host, Sigrun, creator of Samba, the MBA program for online entrepreneurs. With each episode, I'll share with you inspiring case studies and interviews to help you achieve your dreams and turn your passion into profits. Thank you for spending time with me today. Building an online business takes time. I share with you proven strategies to help you get there faster. You'll also learn how to master your mindset, up-level your marketing, and succeed with masterminds. Today's episode is a special one. I'm celebrating 400 episodes of The Sigrun Show. For this occasion, I've decided to switch seats. For once, I'm not going to be the interviewer, but the interviewee. This is an Ask Me Anything episode, and I'll be answering business questions as well as personal questions. For more details, go to signal.com forward slash 400. I started my podcast on August 2nd, 2017, with 100 episodes in 100 days. Then I went over to three episodes a week, eventually to two, and for a long time, I've been doing one episode a week. I've been alternating between interviewing guests and doing solo episodes and also doing coaching calls live. And now, for the first time, it's Ask Me Anything episode. And I'm super excited about the questions we have received and I cannot wait to dive into the first one. Hi, I'm Agnieszka, and I want to ask you, how long is your day? Is it 24 hours or 72? Uh, because how do you manage to do all of those things? Thank you for your question, Agnieszka. My days vary, but typically I get up at 8 a.m. because I am not a morning person and I need my sleep. I sleep about eight hours every night. I have a good night's sleep. Then I like to get up and take it easy and start my workday at 10 a.m. So typically every day I start at 10 a.m. Except if I'm in Iceland, then in summer, the time zone difference is two hours. So I might have to start my day at 8 a.m. I don't like it at all when I have to start so early. So uh, my executive assistant will try to move my whole schedule back at least by an hour so I can start at 9 a.m. when I'm in Iceland. But in Switzerland, then I always start at 10 a.m. My days can go on till 6 p.m. most of the days, but once or twice a week, I will do 7 or 8 p.m. because I want to do calls with someone in the United States, maybe someone interviewing me for a podcast, or I'm working with my coach, or I'm doing a coaching call for one of my programs, and the coaching call starts at 6 p.m. and goes until 8 p.m. So that's why there are some days of the week that go all the way to 8 p.m., but not every day. I also have days where I have no appointments scheduled, 
And that's why how I balance my week. I actually like to have my long days in the beginning of the week. Hi, Sigrun. Ingrid Da here. I would like to ask you, how does your week look like? Like how many hours a week do you spend working? How many hours do you spend with your clients on the coaching calls or in your Facebook groups? And how many hours a week do you just relax? Thank you. Thank you for your question, Ingrid. As you have a similar question to Agneska, I just want to expand on how my week looks like. From the very beginning of my business, maybe not in the first months, but I quickly realized that I had to take control of when I do coaching and not let my clients do uh, the decision-making on how I spend my time. So I decided Mondays and Tuesdays will be my coaching days. Now I'm doing a little bit less coaching and more management. That's what happens when you grow your business. So now Mondays are for internal meetings only. I might have a coaching call with my coach uh, in the evening, but typically the whole day is calls, team calls, sales calls, uh, meeting with my executive assistant, meeting with my COO. So it's all internal meetings on Mondays. On Tuesdays, it's coaching. It's all with clients. And it might be calls in Samba Momentum, VIP Mastermind, Red Circle, or a hot seat call with my Samba students. That's all happening on Tuesday. I also do some exceptions on individual coaching if you are in my higher-end programs, and that would also happen on a Tuesday. On Wednesdays, I've always done my marketing days. So that's when I record my podcast. That's when my podcast is released and I will record new episodes for the following weeks. Also, it's the time where I'm a guest on other people's podcasts. I also do my YouTube live and Facebook live on Wednesdays. And it's funny, I do it at 6 p.m. It's exactly the same time as I used to do my weekly webinars. I kind of like 6 p.m. because then I can cater to, to many time zones at the same time. Thursdays used to be the days where I would maybe do discovery calls. I have not been doing discovery calls for more than a year, maybe even two years, maybe one and a half. Uh, so my team is taking care of that. And that has freed up time for me. And uh, I would do some random meetings, maybe with some contractors or people we're working with. But since this year, I have decided Thursdays are completely meeting free. And I've had Friday meeting-free pretty much from the beginning of my business. Yeah. So this is how my week looks like. Monday and Tuesdays are longer days. They may go on until 7 or 8 p.m. Wednesday, I'm finished when my YouTube Live is finished. And then Thursdays and Fridays are meeting-free. And that's where I use time for creativity reading, writing, coming up with new products, or just taking a day off to get my energy back. I have a lot of energy, but I also need to recharge just like anyone else. Hi, Sigrun. My name is Kasia Krasutska. As a mindset coach, I wonder, what is your morning routine? Thanks and congratulations on your 400th episode. Thank you, Kasia, for your question. Morning routine. I've often been asked this question when I've interviewed on other people's podcasts. And to be honest, I don't think I have a morning routine. I don't meditate. I don't do uh, fitness in the morning. I actually find it very difficult to move too much early. As I said before, I'm not a morning person. So 
I feel I need to take it slow. So I love getting up 8 a.m. and starting to work 10 a.m. This gives me two hours of just easygoing time. But I use the time to read the news, to have breakfast. Of course, I take a shower and put on my clothes and all that stuff. But I don't do journaling on reading or meditation in the morning. I will do my fitness typically more around 11 a.m. or 1 p.m. I have a personal fitness trainer uh, who is based in the U.S. So uh, he couldn't do morning my time anyway because I'm based in Europe, but I wouldn't want it because uh, my system is not ready. I become really awake. My energy really starts after lunch. So until then, I just have to take things easy. And if that's my morning routine, if you can call it that, that's what I do. I take things easy and just get to know what's happening in the world because I think that's important that we are aware of what's happening in the world. My name is Katerina and I would like to know uh, how did you manage to continue doing uh, the weekly uh, webinars when you started, especially when results didn't appear or when you had bad feedback from other people? Thank you for your question, Katerina. How did I manage to do weekly webinars without seeing so much results yet? I think it is perseverance. When I decide to start a project, I do not expect overnight success in anything. Even doing this podcast, this is episode number 400. And I can tell you doing a podcast is definitely a marathon. It is not a sprint. You see very little results in the beginning. Even after 100 episodes, the results were nowhere what I hoped it would be. But I kept on going. And here we are, the 400th episode. The same thing was with my weekly webinars. Of course, I thought I would magically start to sell, but I didn't offer anything for sale on my webinars. So why should anyone buy? But I saw my list growing. So in that sense, I was seeing results. And the same thing with my podcast. I saw my audience growing, even if it's maybe not the number that you're hoping for, as long as you're seeing progress. I was seeing myself getting better on those webinars, just like in my podcast. So perseverance is really something that every entrepreneur needs to have. You cannot just give up after one try. If you say you're not good at something, you just haven't tried it often enough. I wasn't good at doing podcasts. I wasn't good at webinars. I just did it a hundred times before I really felt I was good at it. And then I had built my list or I had increased my downloads. And then you'll see results. So go into any project like that with the goal of doing enough. 100 is a great number, but it could also be 30. If you are, for instance, want to try out Facebook Lives, don't do one and just say, oh, nobody was watching. Do 30 in 30 days if you want to see any results. Hi, my name is Marta and, and my question is how to know if your business idea is scalable enough or is this something that um, a business that is just starting to take off shouldn't really worry about? Thank you for your question, Marta. 
To be honest, don't worry about it if your business idea is scalable or not. The key is to get started. Too many entrepreneurs, and especially, unfortunately, female entrepreneurs, overthink their business idea too long before they actually get started. And I'm one of them, so I can honestly tell you, don't worry about it. You can always pivot later on if you realize that you have a business model that is not scalable. With that being said, I did think about this upfront. I did want a scalable business. And it was based on the fact that I was a CEO of a website agency many years ago. And the only way to grow the business was to hire more programmers. If I couldn't find a programmer to hire, I couldn't grow the revenue of the business. And I realized I didn't want to find myself in the same position. I wanted to be able to scale with people, but also without hiring more people. And the best way I saw it be able to do that was to have a business online and eventually online courses. When I started my business, I thought creating an online course right away was the right way to go. I figured out quickly that that was not the solution. It was better for me and it's better for most coaches, trainers, teachers, consultants to start one-on-one. And so I did one-on-one for over a year. And I was doing it in a way that I got to know my ideal client really well. I got to know what I liked and what I didn't like. And I was building up the knowledge for a scalable business. I was not worrying too much about not having a scalable business yet. You do not create a scalable business necessarily in your first or second year business. It gradually changes and grows. And as you build on your knowledge, that's that foundation, you can create the scalability later on. So coming back to your question, don't worry too much about it. Just get started. Hi, Sigrid. Lauren Diana Scalf, Psychic, Intuitive Life and Business Mentor here. And my question for you is you've had a lot of success. You've built your business up to multiple seven figures. What do you feel is the one thing that has enabled you to achieve this success? A lot of people try really hard to reach the level of success that you have and they don't always make it. So what is that one thing that you feel has helped you achieve that? Thanks. Thank you for your question, Laura. The one thing that has helped me the most is that I believe in myself. I was brought up in the belief that I could do anything. And seeing a female president being elected in Iceland when I was only nine years old enforced this belief that women, myself included, can do anything. Now, a lot of things change as you're growing up. Sometimes you lose that belief in yourself. And I see that happen for a lot of women But it's important to come back to it and start to believe in yourself. And the best way I have found to be able to do so is to surround myself with other women who believe in themselves too. And look for role models that maybe sound or look similar to me. And this sentence repeated again and again, if she can do it, you can do it. If you believe you can do it, you can. If you don't believe you can do it, you can't. And so I constantly remind myself, if there is a woman out there that has done it, then I can do it too. So this belief has helped me go to six figures, eventually to seven figures in 
four years and now to multiple seven figures. And I think the sky is the limit. Will my company reach eight figures? I am pretty convinced it will. Will it take me three years or five years? I don't know. It depends on so many things. Maybe I suddenly want to do something different and then it will take longer. But why not me? And why not you? The best thing you can do for yourself if you want to achieve any kind of a goal is to start to believe it's possible. And if you have a hard time believing it's possible, find enough proof that you can do it too. Dear Sigrun, this is Marika. I have a very personal question. I'm wondering how your feelings are and how you go about them with your parents not being close to you all of the time, having in mind that their time on planet Earth in this life is somehow limited, hopefully not too soon. I wanted to know whether maybe there's a special Icelandic way of going about your parents growing older and one day saying goodbye and how to take care of them and what you do with your thoughts about it, that you're not with them all the time. Thank you very much. Thank you for your question, Mareike. That is a really personal question and a great one. When I moved to Germany for the first time, I was 20 years old. And I didn't worry too much about being away from my family. I was young. I wanted to study. What I wanted was at the forefront, following my dreams, something that I had promised myself from the age of 16. And I lived nine years abroad, eight years in Germany and one year in Switzerland. And during that time, both of my grandmothers passed away. And that was painful especially one of my grandmothers, uh, who I was very close to. I flew home for her funeral. With my second grandmother, I said goodbye because I knew she was passing away soon. So that was very emotional, and it was one of the key reasons I actually moved back. I didn't want to lose more family members away from me and not be there for them. I also saw that my Uh, siblings, my sister and my brother were having nieces. And even though I'm not a big, you know, aunt, I still wanted to be around and, and see my nieces grow up. With this experience in mind, uh, the thought of moving again away from Iceland after only being there for six years and thinking of moving to Switzerland forever with my husband, uh, this came to my mind. I was not willing to live in a foreign country unless I could have the financial means that to hop on a plane anytime I wanted. So one of the decisions why I wanted to become an entrepreneur was not just to take care of my health, but also this decision to be location independent, being able to work in Iceland and Switzerland, and again, having the means, the financial means, that if something is going on, that I can hop on a plane and I can be there tomorrow. So at working for someone else and only getting 20 days holidays was quite a difficult choice, but the right decision in the beginning. And eventually, uh, you know, things happened. I got sick for seven months and lost my job twice in two years. And then the decision was made for me. I needed to become an entrepreneur. And from the very beginning, I set up my business in a way that I could be completely 
location independent. Now, with that being said, being in Switzerland uh, most of the time was okay. It wasn't necessarily hard. It wasn't until my dad got cancer in May 2017 that I realized, yeah, I can quickly fly to Iceland, but I also need to be there when someone in my family is sick and needs me. And so I, in June 2017, I went in the middle of a launch to uh, Iceland and I was there for my father when he had to go to the hospital and it was a very challenging time. But at the same time, I had one of my best launches. I was very honest with the audience and I told them what was going on. And so I have chosen to be very transparent about the challenges that I have with having a family in a different country. And recently I bought a new apartment because I want to have a nicer place to live in so that when I spend more time in Iceland, uh, I have a place that is more of my home, more a place that uh, feels more like me. I have good contact to my family in Iceland, especially to my parents. I lived with them now recently three weeks as I just rented out my old apartment. But yep, the plan is for me to be able to spend half of the year in Iceland. And in 2017 and 18, I spent 50% of my time in Iceland. 2019, my dad was feeling better. He was off the medication. And uh, we both, both him and me, used the opportunity to travel a lot. And in 2020, I'm finding myself spending a lot of time in Iceland again because he is not as well as before. I spent three months in the summer. So yes, I might not be there all the time and maybe something will happen and I'm not there and I cannot jump fast enough. And now with COVID and a five-day quarantine, it's not as easy as it was before. And that hurts. This idea that I cannot hop on a plane and, and see my parents the same day is, is, is difficult. But, you know, we have to also make choices. And I also have to be with my family here in Switzerland. So the best way I have found to combine both is to have home in two countries, to spend up to 50% of my time uh, with my parents and stay in touch with them uh, with regular FaceTimes and Zoom calls. Thank you for this wonderful question, Mariki. Hi, Zikrun. My name is Natalie, and I would like to know, how do you keep yourself focused? Thank you for your question, Natalie. I am not as focused as people think. Uh, so I think it's kind of funny to get this question. I am quite of a squirrel. And you could ask my husband and he would confirm. I'm a little bit all over the place. And in order to stay focused, I really need to force myself to sit down and work on one task at a time. And the best way I have found to do so is to have clear deadlines. And yes, I set my own deadlines, but I like to publicly announce them. So let's say uh, I have a masterclass coming up in my Samba community. And I know it will take me an hour to prepare for that masterclass. I prepare the one hour before the masterclass will start. Instead of doing the day before and week before, which should be the logical thing to do, but I'm pretty much just in time person. And I've tried to change it so many times, but it has not worked for me. I'm still able to do big projects and start them in time, 
but yeah, I tend to procrastinate a lot and I get distracted easily. And yes, I waste time like everybody else on social media and all that stuff. I'm definitely not perfect when it comes to being focused, but I can. When I have the deadline, when I have the pressure, whether it's external or internal, I can sit down and I can get a lot of things done in a short amount of time, but I need to somehow force myself. So the focus thing is, doesn't come natural to me. Uh, so I need help. And that's where my team also comes in and having a calendar and executive assistant and, and, and a lot of support helps me to stay focused as well. So yeah, thank you for the question, Natalie. Hi, this is Nicole. And I would like to know what's your one tip to your younger self. So if you could go back 10 years, what tip would you have for yourself? Thank you for your question, Nicole. What would I tell my younger self? To know that anything is possible. I think there was a period of my time even during my studies in architecture, where I did not see myself doing great things in my life. I started to see myself as pretty average or, I don't know, not achieving much somehow. I don't know. I was not depressed or anything. I just didn't, I did not see myself as one of those people that can do big things and impact the world. And whether it's being naive or not, I think we want to hold on to this belief. You know, we, we have it when we're five years old and we should never lose it. You can do anything you want just if you believe in it. And there were definitely years or even decades in my life where I did not think that my voice matters. But your voice matters, your story matters, and my story matters. And together, we can change the world. I truly believe that. And I think it's better for everybody if we keep that belief going our whole lives. We will take different decisions. We'll be bolder. We'll act bigger. And my younger self would definitely have benefited from that. Hi, Sigrun. This is Nora speaking. I would love to know. And business-wise, what's the most difficult time you had in your life and also the best? So just to sketch a little bit, what was hardest for you to achieve and what was uh, the happiest moment once you have you achieved it? Thank you for your question, Nuria. When it comes to business, I think the most difficult period was probably my first year. I think that's when any entrepreneur will need the most support. And I should have been a part of a program where I would get step-by-step -step instructions on what to do. I was all over the place. I was throwing spaghetti on the wall and hoping something would stick. And that was a frustrating time. I didn't feel I was making a lot of progress. It was not like that I wouldn't have these little wins and I'm always optimistic. And I was optimistic in my first year, but it was, it was frustrating. Really harder times is still when you have to let someone go. I've quite a lot of experience letting people go, but restructuring or changing my team or letting someone go is still hard for me. Even if I've 
been a turnaround CEO and I've fired a lot of people in my uh, time as a CEO, I still find that the hardest things I have to do in my business. And uh, that is something I have to deal with much more today. The first year in business is frustrating for everyone, I think, and it's important you get help. But later on, it's always the personal things that are harder. Strategy, mindset, yeah, it is a struggle. But other people, that's a tricky part. The highlights, I would say, is achieving the million dollars. It wasn't about the money, and I've emphasized it a lot when I tell people, reaching the $1 million goal in 2017 in my fourth year of business, that's one of my highlights in business. And again, it was not about the money. It was about this proof that I can do it. Remember the sentence? If she can do it, you can do it. And I felt that I finally was this person that if I can do it, you can do it. You know, I was kind of like not just proving it to myself. I was proving it to the world, but I, I wanted to be an inspiration for other women. And that's why it was such a huge milestone. You know, reaching 2 million after that, it's not the same feeling. It's just not the same milestone. Achieving the million dollars was really a big, big milestone that I hope has inspired a lot of other women to believe that they can do it too. Happy podcast birthday, Sigrun. My question is, what's the most important thing of your life for you personally? Thank you for your question, Sina. Most important thing for me is to be happy, to follow my dreams and inspire others to follow their dreams. It's not really about money, but it's about love and happiness. My relationship to my husband, uh, my relationship to my family, both in Iceland and Switzerland, is really important to me. It gives me energy and that they believe in my mission and that mission matters. That makes me happy. I generally think progress in life and business makes you happy. So feeling progress every day, that also inspires me to take the next step and move me forward. So it's important for me to make progress because that makes me happy and feeling loved and being able to share that love with my family, my husband, my community, my clients. Thank you, Sina, for the question. Trine Daimi, Galio Maggie, I'm wondering if you have reached your dream goal for gender equality with your business. Trine, that is a great question. I have not achieved gender equality, and we are far away from achieving gender equality. I actually do not believe we will achieve gender equality in my lifetime. It sounds a bit sad to say it, but it's true. My mission is to accelerate gender equality through female entrepreneurship, and I'm doing that every single day, and I'm thinking bigger and bolder in how I can do that. It's not enough to do that with online business and online courses. It is too slow for me, so that's why I want to do a conference, the Selfmade Summit, next year, Reykjavik, Iceland, in June. But I am constantly on the hunt for bigger and a bolder things I can do to accelerate gender equality. I will not achieve it in my lifetime, and I've accepted that, but I want to make 
bolder moves and have a bigger impact than I've had so far. So I think I'm just at the very start. So I feel there have little steps been made, small progress in the last six and a half years, but we are not there. We have to keep on going. It is up to you, dear listener and me. We all have to do our part to accelerate gender equality. This is Karin Schmoinkova. Sigrun, have you ever been afraid of rejection? And if yes, do you still experience it? Thank you for your question, Karin. Being afraid of rejection, I really had to think about this one. Of course, I'm sometimes worried that someone will say no. But it doesn't occupy me. I just keep on going and... I want maybe someone to be a guest on my podcast. And I remember once a guest said no. And then I told the guest, well, I'm going to your conference in a couple of months. And the guest said, oh, you should have told me that. So I wasn't worried about getting no up front. I was expecting a yes, actually. The typical thing is that you don't necessarily get a no. You just get no reply. So I wouldn't say this worries me. And it is something that you should not let your mind be worried about. There are no's from time to time in business and life. But honestly, I've found the no's to fuel me more. Recently, I got a no for a personal loan because I wanted to buy an apartment in Reykjavik, Iceland. I got a no because I live in Switzerland and not Iceland. I got a no because I have salary from a Swiss company and not an Icelandic company. But the no made me very creative. So I started an Icelandic real estate company and was able to get a loan for the same apartment. So I think a no or a rejection is not a bad thing. It actually might make you want it more and you'll just find a creative way to get there. So see no as an opportunity to just find a better way. My name is Angelique, and I would like to know what your elevator pitch would be today, meaning how would you present yourself to someone who has uh, never, ever heard of you before? Thank you for the question, Angelique. Elevator pitch. I was recently asked on an Icelandic podcast, who is Sigrun? And I came up with this. I make my dreams come true. And I help others make their dreams come true. Actually, I would say I inspire women to make their dreams come true. And it's interesting when I introduce myself like that, it's got nothing to do with online business or female entrepreneurship or accelerating gender equality. But I do think it piques interest. It makes people excited to know more. And if I really go to the core of what I do every day, I make my dreams come true. And because I make my dreams come true and I talk about it and I'm transparent about my dreams, I will even share upfront what my dreams are. And then in front of your eyes, I will make them come true. I am inspiring others to make their dreams come true too. Now I've chosen the vehicle online business because I find that to one of the easiest way to build a business today, especially for women. And it fits well to my mission, Accelerate Gender Equality through Female Entrepreneurship. But at the core of it, 
I make my dreams come true so that you are inspired to make your dreams come true too. Hello, Sigrun. Here is Bara from Czech Republic. I would like to ask you whether your red color, your red dresses identity is because you are deeply in love with the color or is it the marketing to be recognizable, remarkable? We come to the last question, Bara. Thank you so much for your question. I know this is a question that might have occupied a few others. Do I wear red because I love it or because I think it helps in marketing? You could say both, but originally I have always loved red. I have pictures of me as a young girl wearing red. If you would have seen my room when I was 12 years old, you would have seen it black, white, And with a touch of red, there was a red lamp, there was a red pillow, there was like a touch of red all over. So red has followed me from a very young age. It's always been my favorite color. But I typically would wear black. A lot of people that come from Iceland, I don't know if it's the cold or the dark winters, we tend to wear black. And then I studied architecture And everyone who studied architectures, if you've seen an architect, you've maybe noticed this, they wear black all the time. So Icelanders wear black, architects wear black. So I was wearing black most of the time. I didn't have a lot of red clothes. I would have a red coat, maybe, maybe red jackets, maybe red shoes, but not like this whole red outfit that I have today. And this all goes back to me doing Facebook ads in my first year of business. Uh, my first Facebook ad was green. And I was doing weekly webinars and I started to do Facebook ads for every webinar. And the first ad was green because I was doing a webinar about Evernote. And Evernote is green, so it was a fit to have a green background in my ad. But then I did a webinar or something else the next week and I realized I needed some consistency. I needed one color, a clear design that I could use for all my webinar ads because I knew I had committed to doing at least 20 webinars. So 20 weeks of ads was ahead of me. And I didn't want to run green ads to when I was doing, for instance, uh, teaching something about Facebook, which is blue. Then I would always have to find the color in the what, what I was teaching. And that didn't make any sense to me. So I said, okay, let me just have a red background And then a little circle with my profile picture in it. And then I'll just type the text of the webinar. So I started my red webinar ads. And people started to tell me, I always know when it's your ad, Sigrun, because they're red. And I'm like, oh, okay. Maybe then I started to wear red a little bit more. I think so. And then in 2017... Almost two and a half years later, yes, I was wearing red a lot, and I also would wear some other colors, but then I went to a social media marketing conference with a few clients, and we did a mastermind day, and then Sif, who is now on my team, but was then a client, suggested to the other ladies, let's all wear red in honor of Sigrun. So in the evening, when we go to the parties at the conference, We all show up as the team red. Everybody thought it was a great idea. I realized I didn't have enough red outfits for this great idea. So I had to go shopping. 
And so started that. I started to buy more red clothes because my community started to see me as the one that should be wearing red. I was not wearing so much red before, but I've always loved the color. So it happened organically. And I love that fact that it was basically my community that wanted it. I love it. I love to wear red every day. But it gradually happened. It happened organically. It's been a beautiful development. It's funny. Once I showed up to a webinar in a yellow shirt, and I have no idea why I had a yellow shirt because I don't like yellow. And I had this one yellow shirt. And everybody asked, why are you wearing yellow? So it happened with my community and Team Red, the hashtag Team Red started. And when I started to do conferences, uh, my first one was actually uh, September 2017. Half of the room showed up in red. And the following conference, the following year, two-thirds of the room showed up in red. So it's been very organic, which I think is beautiful. But also, it is a color that stands out. And it does help in marketing. But first of all, it's a color that I love. And it has the meaning of passion for me. Uh, living my purpose, and being bold. And I think that's what red stands for. And I think you can be on Team Red too, even if you don't wear red all the time. And I hope to see you at the Selfmade Summit next year in red, because then Team Red will really show up in the red room at the conference center in Reykjavik, Iceland. Thank you so much for all your questions. It's been an honor to answer them. Go to sig.com forward slash 400 for the show notes of this episode. Thank you for listening to The Sigrun Show. Did you enjoy this episode? Let me know that you listened by tagging me in your Insta story or Instagram post using my handle sigruncom and the hashtag Sigrun Show. See you in the next episode.